You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Remember, this is an election year, and we want to make sure that we're giving you the best coverage possible. You can help us do that by going to WDET.org, taking a short survey about the issues that you will be most interested in this year. That way, you can help us shape the coverage according to your liking. It appears the flu season peaked a couple weeks ago in Michigan. The Centers for Disease Control says there were two weeks in a row in February with a decrease in the number of confirmed cases of flu throughout the nation. Dr. Patty Brown is a professor of internal medicine at Wayne State School of Medicine. She says to WDET's Laura Weber Davis that she's cautiously optimistic that the worst of this particular dangerous strain of the flu could be behind us. And now that the weather is warming up, maybe we are out of trouble. What is the correlation between um, warmer weather and the dissipation of these dangerous viruses like the flu? And why is it seasonal? You know, some of it may, and there's not one answer for every single virus. There certainly may be some um, element of viruses being more easily transmitted and so-called cold adapted in the colder weather months. However, we have to remember when we think about bad flu seasons, think back to 2009 and the H1N1 at that time, it was called swine flu pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that started in the summertime, right? And we do still see influenza cases in the summertime. So probably a bigger part of it is is people being together in closed quarters, and particularly school children. So if you say, what is the first sign that influenza has entered into the community, into a community? Increased school absenteeism. Interesting. Yeah, and, you know, it's not when we say school, we're also talking about daycare and other, you know, where p- people are congregated together and close together, college campuses. And when you think about it, all of that lets up in the summertime. Right? And it, that really has nothing. I mean, I guess that makes sense that it really has nothing to do with weather in that uh, directly uh, the weather having a direct effect on the virus. And I know that just intuitively by knowing that other states aside from our cold mm-hmm. weather states mm-hmm. suffer from the flu virus as yeah, well. About three weeks ago, I think Florida was in the news for a sudden increase. So again, I, I'm not for some viruses, there may be some also element of the cold, but probably it's more related to human populations and our behavior and and people are congregated in close quarters together. You know, on college campuses, sometimes the thing that finally breaks, and it may not just be influenza, but other viral, you know, outbreak. It's just everybody goes for spring break or everybody goes home for the Christmas break or, you know, so people being together, people congregating together and, you know, school children being together during the year. And, you know, as the the mother of a preschool age child, you will have more upper respiratory tract infections than any other adult population. I um, am currently get, working through one of those. It will get better <laughs> with time. And if you have another one, the second one is better than the worst uh, than the first. And but um, yeah, that's that's the group of healthy adults that have the largest number of upper respiratory tract infections every year are the parents of school age children. So, you know, I've lived sort of in fear and. Um, waiting for my child's preschool to uh, call and say the flu was starting to go around. So I sort of every week was just crossing my fingers and hoping we could get through another week because this season of flu has been so uh, devastating and scary to watch mm-hmm. from an outsider's perspective. Luckily, um, that hasn't been the case at, at the at the school where my daughter goes. But I'm beginning to feel now that the weather is warming up and, well, obviously I'll be outside a little bit more, 
now that we've gotten through February, this sort of month that I was waiting to get through, where are we? What are we seeing? Are we seeing a trend, a downward trend as we're heading now into these warmer so, weeks? Actually, in preparation for speaking to you, and also I actually just finished two weeks on the infectious disease consult service, rounding on the consult service. So I, you know, I I stay up on kind of what's happening uh, in our southeastern region of Michigan, in the state, and also nationally. So I, I did check um, the state uh, stats. So for the week ending February 17th, we saw two weeks in a row, both on a national level as well as in the state of Michigan, where we've had a decrease in the number of new flu cases. And this is, you know, hopefully the beginning of the end. But I want to emphasize the number of new cases is still high. We're Mm. still in a, a situation where influenza is described as widespread, but hopefully we're seeing the beginning of the end. Um, They do then divide the state into four regions, and interestingly, southeastern Michigan had the steepest decline the last two weeks in the number of cases. Hmm. The only region of the state that is still on the increase is uh, the northern part of the state, for whatever reason, um, still saw an increase as of the week ending February 17th. So nationally, certainly regionally, um, hopefully this is the beginning of the end, but interestingly... um, Although the majority of cases that we've seen this flu season is the H3N2, which is a strain of influenza which has been notorious for being responsible for bad flu seasons, influenza B cases, H3N2 is an A strain of influenza, influenza B cases are still on the rise. So Hmm. we may see kind of, as we see in many influenza seasons, kind of a tail end of the season peak in B cases. I think, you know, one, you know, always... Is there any positive out of this bad flu season? The issues with the vaccine and the fact that the vaccine wasn't as effective as, you know, we would like it to be, right. I think it's going to spur a lot of very interesting research that we'll see over the next couple of years about how to um, develop a vaccine that, that has a higher degree of, of efficacy and protection against these bad influenza strains. They're already talking about looking at the vaccine um, manufacturing, the majority of vaccine that's manufactured in the United States is done using a method that is over seven decades old. They've hmm. been doing it this way for about 70 years. Are there better ways to manufacture vaccine that could result in a vaccine that that is more effective? Also, um, there's some um, interesting work going on at the National Institutes of Health where they're trying to look at, can we get an influenza vaccine that results in protection that is broader against more strains of flu. Right. You know, this is why we have to get vaccinated every year because the the flu virus is notorious for changing. Vaccine from last year will not protect you potentially from strains that that will be coming up the following year. But can we somehow um, uh, kind of trick the immune system, if you will, or come up with a vaccine that would provide broader protection against multiple strains of influenza or cross-protection between strains so that it doesn't require people to get a flu shot every year. So I think that's that's sort of my outsider's perspective, and I'm sure I'm not the only person who thinks this, that just, you know, if, if the flu shot is developed each year to sort of tackle what... Uh, those who are developing the vaccine believe will probably be the strains they need to uh, attack ahead of the season. Um, And then sometimes maybe that guess is wrong or off a little bit. There's this feeling from the patient's perspective who has no concept of how these things are done that um, 
you know, well, why can't they just put them all in there? Why can't we get a shot that just sort of covers all of them? Why do we have to be selective? And I think that's always been sort of my lingering question, and I'm sure there's a much simpler explanation and to it. I am not, although an infectious disease specialist, I'm not a vaccinologist, so I can't <laughs> claim advanced. But I'll just say that the, the problem is that the immune response is quite specific, and that's a good thing. Um, but it also works to our detriment in that the pathogens can be tricky. They can change their antigenic makeup, and flu is the notorious example of this, and that can evade, you know, an immune response that, that is protective. You know, you mentioned you have a toddler. I, I'm sure that your toddler had the pneumococcal vaccine mm-hmm. um, and the PCV13. What does the 13 in PCV13 stand for? 13 different strains of the pneumococcus that are included in that vaccine. All right. But there are many more than 13 strains. So that vaccine provides protection for those, but not, you know, not for the others. So the immune system is quite elegant and quite precise. And so it's difficult to come up with a one size fits all sort of vaccine that would elicit an immune response that would protect against multiple different strains. Now that we're in the hopefully, beginning of the end end. of this particular season with this bad flu. Um, Is it still important for people who haven't gotten the flu vaccine to go and get it? I know that it protects for a full year or or more. Um, So maybe it would protect again into the fall, but is it still important? Well, you know, I I still think that if you didn't get your flu vaccine this season, yes, I I would still get it as long as the vaccine is available. And as I mentioned, even though we saw two consecutive weeks of decrease, the overall level of flu is still high. I mentioned influenza B, right, that sometimes, you know, can uh, sort of become more uh, prevalent or or, or uh, prominent at the tail end of a flu season, and the vaccine protects against B. And then another sort of interesting, you know, um, potential advantage when you talked about protection over the summer, well, why does it matter? Well, if you're a traveler and you're going to travel to the southern hemisphere uh, in the summer, or if you're going to travel on cruises or other places where people from the southern hemisphere will be traveling with you, that will be their influenza season, right, over the summer, and maybe you'll have a little additional protection. So as long as the flu shot is still available, there's absolutely no reason not to get it. And again, I would, you know, urge everyone, the time really optimal to get the flu shot is in the fall. It does take a couple of weeks to develop a protective antibody response in response to the vaccination, and then you're covered for the the rest of influenza season because it's very difficult to predict when influenza is going to get off the ground. Dr. Patty Brown is our guest right now. She's a professor of internal medicine at Wayne State School of Medicine and also the associate as chief of staff for medicine at the John D. Dingle VA Medical Center. Um, I wanted to talk to you about skepticism for the flu shot because that, some of that fuels why we see these viruses spread. Um, but I know perfectly healthy adults who are perfectly reasonable people who um, they apply it in a pragmatic way to their own experience. I haven't gotten the flu since I was a kid. I am healthy. I rarely get sick with a cold. Uh, what's the point in me getting the flu vaccine? And I don't really have a, a great response to that other than, well, maybe you could possibly carry the virus and not get it and spread it to someone else. I don't know that that's a, even possi- a possibility, but why would an adult who is perfectly healthy, who hasn't gotten the flu for decades, be drawn to getting the flu shot, which 
can be a literal pain in the arm. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, so a couple of things that I would say. Um, first of all, I would dispute the statement that I've I've never had the flu. Okay, because. Um, if you tell me I've never been sick a day in my life with even the sniffles, then perhaps. But we have to remember that a lot of influenza is not diagnosed and confirmed to be influenza. So um, think back and about, quote, bad colds or, or other illnesses you had. You probably have gotten the flu. Now, you've gotten through it. You're otherwise healthy. You, But the fact remains that every influenza season, although... Certainly, we identify high-risk groups, people who are at greater risk of having complications. Every influenza season, we continue to see otherwise healthy children and adults who die of the flu or complications of the flu. And, you know, I have to say, I've been in the field of infectious diseases for 30 years, but that is one thing that still takes my breath away, is to, to see an otherwise healthy individual succumb uh, to an infection that is potentially vaccine-preventable. Potentially vaccine preventable. And, you know, it's interesting. In the United States, it's estimated that over 95% of individuals who die of vaccine preventable diseases every year in the U.S. are adults. And it, the flu shot is safe. The flu shot is widely available. The flu shot is not that expensive. And if this is, you know, could prevent influenza, prevent a, a you know, a complication, I think that's still a benefit. And then the second point you made, I guess you would call an altruistic benefit, yeah, is that what could be a minor case of the sniffles for you could actually be a devastating infection for a more vulnerable individual, including your children or including your older parent or including, you know, someone else that you provide care for. Um, healthy adults probably shed influenza virus for at least a day before they become ill. Mm. So even if you take off work, uh, you still could put patients at risk. So those would be some things that I would, you know, kind of put forward to, to individuals, you know, why it's worthwhile to get a flu shot. That was Dr. Patty Brown, professor of internal medicine at Wayne State School of Medicine. She spoke with WDET's Laura Weber Davis. That's going to do it for us today on Detroit Today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. Remember, if you had to miss any of today's conversation, you don't have to miss out. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And associate producers are Gus Navarro and Ziad Butch. Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.